my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day two. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four head, headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onks are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs all along the east side of, the, of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make you a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, There is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, and for she was taken, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh." The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. All right, the second page of the Bible, Genesis 2, another epic beginning to understand who God is and who we are in creation. Um, note that in the first part of 
of Genesis 2, it, it sort of seems like it's summarizing what just occurred in Genesis 1. And then there's this transition right around Genesis 2, 7 that starts to talk a little bit differently and look a little bit differently. I remember growing up kind of thinking that Genesis 1 and 2 were sort of intertwined or maybe it's a retelling of the story. Um, and then as I started to mature as a Christian and reading it for myself and gaining clarity, um, yeah, so notably in Genesis 2, right, in in the story, you'll see things like, like Adam was created before the animals, right? Which is very different than what happened in Genesis one, where the animals were created first and then, and then humans. Um, so something different is happening in Genesis two, which is really quite, quite amazing. It's a special place on Earth that's focused on. So it's focused on the Garden of Eden, which is a place um, on the Earth that he created. But it's also telling really important tethered things to who we are and what what he designed and wanted for us. A part of me wants to describe the business part of me, Genesis 1, as the establishment of God's kingdom or God's kingdom company. And Genesis 2 as like the C-suite, if you're familiar with that term. So like the CEO um, or the people in charge um, of the company or they're designed for leadership. Uh, Dr. John Walton and Dr. Tim Mackey describe it, you know, as temple language. Really, Genesis 2 is sort of like this idea of the first church or temple or this special place for sure. So zooming in a little bit closer, Genesis 2-7, God made man from the dust of the ground. So in ancient Hebrew, this really would have been emphasizing the fact that Adam and Eve were mortal. So um, this doesn't mean that they weren't from the dust of the ground because in Genesis 1, it, it does describe us as coming from the ground. So we know you know, that we returned, returned to dust. Um, we're made of natural things. Uh, but the focus in Genesis 2-7 is that God made man from the dust of the ground mortal. So we're mortal. And then here's the really exciting part, part that God breathed into um, Adam's nostrils, the breath of life, which is really this description of kinship, this special inter interconnected um relationship. This is often in this appointed priestly sort of role. It's very, very special, right? And then in Genesis 2.8, God made the Garden of Eden. So he, he made a special relationship, Genesis 2.7. In Genesis 2.8, he made this special place where heaven and earth touch. That's the imagery that's really being painted here. Uh, the Garden of Eden was a place on earth. Um, otherwise, you know, when Adam and Eve were essentially fired, uh, they didn't leave planet Earth. They were they were removed from the Garden of Eden. So, and, but they were appointed here. So the man and woman were appointed here. They were created in Genesis 1, 26 and 28. So we understood like whose they are, their identity, their purpose, their vocation. But this leadership appointment, this is something really interesting, right? That's what's happening here. And then Genesis 2, 9, the garden was beautiful and good for food with a tree of life. So the tree of life is literally saying this immortal closeness to God in this special place. This is a cool company. This is a cool leadership thing where you get to be 
close to your creator in a special place, in a special relationship, and it can last forever. That's what this tree of life is offering. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that that represents mortality and distance from this special relationship and this special place. But note that it's still an option. It's present um, because he gave us, he again, he created us to be uh, vice regents or agents to have this kind of portion of power of, of influence and to a certain extent control of our own actions and reactions um, because he didn't want us to blindly follow. He wanted us to make a choice. Um, Even though he appointed us, he wants us to make a choice to accept this appointment, to be in this relationship, and to be in this created vocation that he designed, right? So Genesis 2, 10 through 14, God made the Garden of Eden with four rivers running out from it. Uh, So this is temple language that says this isn't just like a totally separate place from earth, but it's meant to be connected and have an outpouring, this leadership, um, this relationship into the rest of the world. So this sharing, this generous outpouring. Genesis 2.15, God gave the mankind, gave us the purpose to work and care for um, the garden. Now, note, some people really, uh, some people do, they emphasize that this is God giving Adam specifically, so the, well, a literal, a real man, the purpose to work and care for the garden because Eve isn't isn't present yet. And that's really interesting to note because hold on to that. I'm going to explain more about that in a minute. Then in Genesis 2, 16 to 17, God gives moral accountability to humans. So some people, again, focus on humans, Adam. Others focus on Adam, the individual man. In either case, moral accountability is what is established in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. Um, And that wasn't really talked about in Genesis 1, right? So things were good or very good. And there wasn't really this talk about morality. It was more about functionality and purpose. Whereas now, God is giving moral accountability to humans. It's his first commandment. Eat from everything I provided you, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge, right? So there is going to be moral accountability. They're saying it leads to death, right? Not good. Um, And very interesting. Leadership comes with this special sense of, of accountability, And it's a part of being human. We have this moral accountability. So Genesis 2.18, God states it is not good for the man to be alone in this priestly appointment in this context and that the man needs a suitable helper. Note that in our culture, when we see the word helper, um, the assumption is that the person helping us needs our help basically because, yes, we need their assistance, but the assumption is sort of that they need a job or they can't really stand on their two their own two feet versus in the ancient world this concept of help, helper was more it was understood as someone who who had the resources knowledge and ability to help someone else right so it was sort of a flipped script and um, the original Hebrew word for helper is actually it's well it's connected it's ezer connecto so it's this connected person that has um incredible well if you zoom into the word connecto it's used multiple times in the old testament and it's only use is 
ever to mean strength, a warrior, uh, reference to the military aid of Israel, or God himself in support of Israel. So there's something really profound about this choice of word, especially because the the man is described as Ish and the woman as Isha in Hebrew, and that's understood as Ish, a man physically strong, and Isha is a reflection of that strength, and it's less than um, the physical strength. So it's almost like if we go back Genesis 2.15 when he asked the the Ish to work and care for the garden, the, the idea of working and caring for may have this more nurturing characteristic versus, you know, this more physically weaker being given this role um, to, to be a um, a military or, or mighty aid for for Adam. So I think there's this interesting juxtaposition or contrast there, which um, if you read on in the Bible, you'll notice uh, that God God frequently uses the weak to be strong and you know the the he has this flip the rich will be poor this reversed economy going on so it's not entirely surprising it's one of the first hints um to uh, the, the mystery and excitement of god um that that's going on here so he's he's already establishing how important eve is going to be in this relationship Right, And then in Genesis 2.19, God creates animals and Adam names them, which is also very important. This is a special role to name things. Um, The verse shows this interconnected relationship between God and the man and the man's agency to be the person that names things. And we notice this order is different than in Genesis 1, as I mentioned. Um, All very cool. Genesis 2.20, animals are not suitable as or connectos. Maybe this means, and and this... this isn't definitive, but that she's going to have this strong moral accountability um, in the in the partnered relationship. And what m- might be even more, I don't know, telling is how how tragic it is, uh, as we'll get to in Genesis three. Uh, she really breaches that supporting role um, of moral accountability, and uh, that that's really interesting to re- just reflect on. All of these concepts and roles and meaning and and how that plays out um, later later on in the Bible. Genesis two twenty one to twenty two. While the English language seems like it's describing a surgery by God of man to make a woman, where it talks about. Um, you know, God putting the man to sleep. I, my brain, probably because my sister's in medicine, specifically delivering babies. I'm like, I think our brain goes to, it's like a man C-section of sorts uh, where God is coming in to take a rib and and making a, um, making a woman. Can God do this? Of course he can. Um, is that what the text is saying? I'm pretty sure that the, 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 um, Original language and culture gives no indication that that type of scientific surgery was even possible. Um, so it really tends to point more in the original context and language. Hebrew would more likely interpret this to mean that God gave Adam a dream about Eve and that she would be like him, which is what it means by taken out of the man, and an interconnected and an interdependent partner and they get the interdependent part because of the word choice of from the rib um, because in that language and culture if you pick the head or the feet or tail it it represents a different order in the relationship but when you pick something like a rib as the descriptor um, 
and something taken out of. It's this connect, interconnected sameness um, and this interdependent partnership. So different, um, but connected. Genesis 2, 22 to 23, when God brought her Eve to Adam in real life. This is super cool. It's the first time Adam speaks. First time in the Bible he speaks and he speci- specifically speaks to God and Eve. It seems as if Adam is making vows to God who's like officiating and Eve um, is re- regarding his, atten- his intentions towards her and how he sees her when he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Um, it's really exciting language. And then in Genesis 2.24, although our culture gives a woman away to a man, here Adam is leaving his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So inside of an appointed partnership by God to God for his purpose in the Garden of Eden, this leadership place that has an outpouring to the rest of creation, these two marry and um, they become a priest priestly language um, in in the kingdom of God. And if you go all the way forward to like Revelations 1, 6, where it describes that we will be, you know, the children of God will be priests in his kingdom in new creation. There's this connectedness to where are we, the beginning story to the ending story. And something else I just want to mention, because sometimes our culture, I think, perhaps over gets a little bit overly excited about marriage and sometimes they use the word romance, although I love the word romance. It literally means mystery and excitement. But I think sometimes we idealize, that's the word I'm looking for, idealize marriage. When notice that God didn't make Adam and Eve marry each other. It's he appointed them both here and they describe he described their connectedness and uniqueness in leadership and priestly language and how important they were both going to be in this um leadership. But it was Adam that it was first words that was making a vow um to Eve and then we know as the relationship unfolds they get married and they become you know, they become the first in the children of God and the story of God. But um, I think it it's it will be telling as we go all the way through the Bible to the New Testament that there's a special place for um, singleness and there is also a special place for marriage in the kingdom of God and in leadership within the kingdom of God. So thanks for listening. There's so much to think about. Also, Dr. John Walton has a book, The Lost World of Adam and Eve. It's an entire book dedicated to Genesis 2. I highly recommend it. See you next time. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.